We're going to observe the Lord's table tonight. And remember, next week we're going to have a church dinner together. I've entitled the message for this morning, Where is He? I want to ask myself this question as I approach this subject. Do I want to know? Do I want to know where he is? Verse 11 of John chapter 7. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? Verse 2, now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. This is the feast they sought him at and said, where is he? His brethren therefore said unto him, depart hence and go ye into Judea that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there's no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. You see, his brethren didn't know who he was. These were his siblings. They grew up with him in the same home, saw him every day, and they didn't have a clue as to who he was. Verse 6, Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up into this feast, I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. He did the opposite of what they said he would do. No man does anything secret. He did. He did. He went up into the feast secretly. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him, much Inward grumbling is what the word means concerning him. For some said, he's a good man. You know, that was a slam against him. They thought it was a compliment. He's infinitely more than a good man. He's the God man. Others said, nay, but he deceiveth the people. He's the only one who didn't. They were both wrong. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Where is he? The pronoun usually translated he in our text is not the pronoun John uses. It's literally where is that 
one. There is only one that one. Where is he? Where is that one? Now the importance of this, of the answer to this question is determined by the answer to this question. Who is that one? If I know who he is, this question is going to be more important to me than anything else. Where is he? Where can I find him? Who is that one? His siblings didn't know. I think that's so amazing that they grew up with the Lord Jesus Christ. They grew up with perfection. They grew up with holiness. And they didn't get it. The natural man would not know holiness if he saw it. They didn't. Who is that one? He is the one and only begotten Son of God. The only begotten Son. I don't know if I'm saying this right. It's a dead language. But it's called in the original the monogonase. The only begotten. The sole representative of the being of him who sent him. The one who possesses all the fullness of the Godhead in his body. This is that one. He's God the Son. He's the creator. He's the one who created the universe. He upholds all things, the scripture says, by the word of his power. You know what that means? The breath you just took, he gave you the ability to take it. And he can withhold it whenever he's pleased to do so. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He's the Lord. That means his will is always done. He's the Lord. He's the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of providence. He's the Lord of everything that takes place. He's the first cause. He's the Lord of salvation. That means if you're saved, it's up to him. It's not up to you. It's up to him. The only thing to do is to ask him to save you. You know, he's never turned anybody down that did. If you ask him, I'm not talking about bargaining with him, saying, if you do this, I'll do that. No, if you ask him to save you, he will save you. He's the Lord. He's the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. He's the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He's the one Isaiah Saul sitting on the throne in the king, year King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting on a 
throne high and lifted up. He's the only Savior of sinners. Who is this one? Where is he? Well, first, who is he? He's the only Savior of sinners. He's the subject of the eternities. You know, before creation, what was the song of heaven? The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. When time is no more, what will be the song of heaven? Worthy is the lamb that was slain. And creation took place just for him. He created this and he did it for his glory. Who is this one? The friend of sinners. Where is that one? Herod asked this question at his birth. Where is he that was born king of the Jews? The Shulamite in the Song of Solomon said, Where is he that my soul loveth? The heathen said to David, where's your God, David? Our God is in the heavens, where he's always been. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Somebody once said after the tragic death of their son, and what a tragic thing. Where was God when my son died? And someone replied the same place he was when his son died. On the throne, ruling and reigning. Where is that one? Would to God that that question would be answered. And I ask that you would pray for me that I would be enabled to give what the Bible says where he is. And pray for yourself that you'll be able to hear with hearing ears. Even now, ask the Lord. Pray for me. Pray for yourself. Here's where we must begin. He's in this book. This is where he found. He is in this book. The Bible, the holy word of God. He's in his word. He said to the Pharisees in John chapter 5 verse 39, you search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life. If I can just figure out how to keep the rules in this book, I'll be in good shape. They are they which testify of me. That is the truth with regard to every single scripture. They are they which testify of me. Peter said to him, Give all the prophets witness. We know that ahead of time. Whatever is said, it's bearing witness to him. I love it in Luke chapter 24 on the road to Emmaus where he said, beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
He's in this book. And we will not know him apart from the scriptures. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It won't do me any good to talk about my trying to find out who he is or where he is if I don't do it with this book. What I think of God himself, what I think of the Lord Jesus Christ is seen in how I view this book. The holy, I love that word holy, other, not of this world, supernatural, the holy scriptures. The heathen said to David, I've already quoted this in Psalm 115, where is thy God? Where is he now? You know, people have asked that question, where is God? Where is thy God? David replied, our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Whatever's going on right now, he did it. Everything. He did it. What about the bad things? He did it. He's God. Are you saying God sins? Of course not. Are you saying God does evil things? Of course not. But I'm saying whatever happens, God is the first cause. And he brings good out of evil. You and I might not understand it, but I don't need to understand it. God brings good out of evil because he is good. It's the goodness of God. He's on the throne ruling and reigning. From the throne he sits in regal splendor. Undisturbed by opposition. He rules and reigns from his throne. Now that's where he is. He's on his throne. Ruling and reigning in heavens. In the heavens. Controlling everything that takes place here upon earth. Aren't you thankful for that? Oh, praise the Lord that he rules and reigns. We don't serve some kind of weak peanut God whose will is not done unless we let him have his way. That's ridiculous. He's God. Beside him is none else. And in the heavens, he's seated on this throne. Hebrews 1.3 says, When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down. Why did he sit down? His work was finished. Sin was purged, put away. And he sits at his throne, but there's something he's doing as he sits on his throne in heaven. Hebrews, or Romans 8.34 says, Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died. Get a hold of that by the grace of God. 
That's the only answer you need. It's Christ that died. Yea, rather, that's risen again, who's even at the right hand of God making intercession for us, representing us. Even right now, the Lord Jesus Christ is representing me before his Father. Everything's fine. Peter, I have prayed for you. Anything else need to be said? In Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, we read this. Thus saith the high and lofty one. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? He is the high and lofty one. Thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabiteth eternity. Where is he? He inhabits eternity. He's not bound by space nor time. He inhabits eternity. He's not in the cosmos. The cosmos is in him. He is omnipresent. That means you can't go anywhere where he's not. That's where he is. In him we live and move and have our being. He is omnipresent. Can you say that about the Lord Jesus Christ when he's a man in a human body? How can you say a man confined to a human body, and he's a human being right now, as he's seated at the right hand of the Father, there's flesh and blood there. A spiritual man, but a body, a human being. How can he be everywhere at once? I don't know, but he is. You know, when he was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he talked about no man hath ascended into heaven but the Son of Man, or hath descended from heaven. No man hath descended from heaven, but the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Present tense, right then. Explanation. It's just who he is. He's omnipresent. You cannot go anywhere where he's not. If he's in the Father, and the Father is in heaven, he's in heaven, isn't he? And so is every other believer, because the scripture says if we're in him, we're seated in the heavenlies, in Christ Jesus. I love to think of this while I'm here floundering in my flesh, floundering in my unbelief, my uncertainties about myself. I'm seated in heaven already there. Not just as if I was there, I'm there in the beloved. If he's there, I'm there. Seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Where is he? Where is he? Well, he's on the throne. He's everywhere. And he is in every individual believer. Colossians 1.27 Christ in you. If you're a believer, Jesus Christ, the Lord, the one seated in the heaven, dwells in your heart. 
the heart that he gave you. He gave you a heart that he dwells in. And he is in. He resides in every believer. When he said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down. Today I must abide. He didn't just say I'm going to visit there and go away. The word abide means remain. I'm there for good. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is in the heart of every believer. And it's a fit place for him to be because it's the heart he gave. You know, when preachers say, won't you give Jesus your heart? I want the new heart he gives. I want the heart David spoke of when he said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This is why he could say, inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. And inasmuch as you did it not to the least of these, my brethren, you did it not to me. This is why he could say to Saul, 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 why persecutest thou me? Now wait a minute, he's at the right hand of the Father. Yeah, but he's in every believer and was, Saul was persecuting a believer. He was persecuting the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Paul said, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me. Not simply to me. This is better. In me. I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He lives in me. Now, I wouldn't believe that unless the Bible told me that, but I believe it. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I think of when Nebuchadnezzar had thrown Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace, bound. And the fire was so hot, the people that threw him in were burned up. There's such a gospel message in that. Nebuchadnezzar said, did we not throw three men into the fiery furnace? Lo, I see four men, loose, free, and walking. And the likeness of the fourth is like unto the Son of God. God is always with his people in the furnace, just like he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Where is he? Where is he? Well, he's on the throne, ruling. He's in his people. And he said, where two or three, this is in Matthew chapter 18, Listen to this scripture very carefully. Where two or three are gathered together. That's what this is, isn't it? Where two or three are gathered together in my name. This is not just a gathering of people. This is gathering together in his name. There am I. 
in their midst. Now, if the Lord Jesus Christ was here physically this morning, would you feel a need to be here? Of course you would. If he's here physically, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lord of glory, you would feel a need to be here. He is here. Right now. In this room. Because he said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. He inhabits the public assembly of the saints when the gospel is preached. Question. Is there ever a reason to not be where he is at? Now, every time two or three people are gathered together in his name, he's promised his presence. He's here. Somebody thinks, well, I don't want to become legalistic about church attendance. He's here. I don't want to be legalistic about coming home. I don't think I'm going to go home tonight. I'm just going to stay out a lot. I don't want to be legalistic about that. No, come on, wait. He's here. He's here. Anything else need to be said? He's here. Where two or three, that's talking about a public assembly, God's special presence is, bled, is promised where two or three are gathered together. Now, I realize there's people have to work sometimes. They can't come to church when you've got to work. I, I realize that. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but he is still promised where two or three are gathered together in my name. There I am. He still walks in the midst, the scripture says, of the golden candlesticks of the churches. He is there. Psalm 80, verse 1. You can look this up on your own. He is called, Thou that dwellest between the cherubims. Now, what in the world does that mean? Thou that dwellest between the cherubims. The cherubims are those angelic beings that had six wings. With uh, two, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they did fly. Isaiah spoke of them. They were spoken of in Revelation. But what dwells between the cherubims? Well, in the tabernacle, you had the mercy seat. The mercy seat. And it was in between the two cherubims, embroidered on the cloth with their wings pointing toward each other, the mercy seat. Now, what is the mercy seat? The mercy seat is called by Paul the propitiation, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, a mercy seat. Now, what in the world does that mean? A propitiation, because that's not a word we normally hear in our vernacular today, the propitiation. It means a sin-removing sacrifice. Now, that's where he'll meet you. That's where he'll meet me. The place of propitiation. He said, there will I meet thee, Exodus 25, 22. There will I meet thee and have 
communion with thee. Propitiation. Hebrews chapter 8, God said, and this is where he'll meet you. This is where he'll meet me. Nowhere else. But he always meets anybody who comes here. There will I meet you. God said, for I will be, in Hebrews chapter 8, merciful. The word is actually propitious. I will be propitious. I will be a sin-removing sacrifice. That means my sin has been removed by what he did. I can come into his presence and be accepted, holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight because my sin has been removed. I will be propitious to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities. I will remember no more. The reason he doesn't remember them, there's nothing there to remember because he removed them and made them to not be. And that is exactly what the publican in the temple was praying. The Pharisee said, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. And then the publican in the temple beat upon his breast, crying, God, be. I know the King James Version says merciful, but the word is actually propitious. It's not just a general desire for mercy. Lord, be a sin-removing sacrifice to me. Remove my sin. Do something about my sin. Now, how did that work out? How did that end? Christ said, I say unto you, that man went down to his house justified. Justified. That's how it worked out. Justified. No sin. Sinless, perfect in God's sight through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. He's at the mercy seat. That's where he is. He's at the mercy. He'll meet you there. He'll meet you there. We're not talking about somebody else. I'm talking about me. He'll meet me there and accept me through the blood. Where is he? Solomon said in 1 Kings 8, 12, he dwells in the thick darkness. He dwells in the thick darkness. You see, the scripture says he covers himself with light as with a garment. He dwells in the thick darkness. Now, when I thought about that, there's several things I thought about. I thought about the thick darkness of Mary's womb. Utter darkness. I thought about the darkness on the cross when the world was covered with darkness, darkness that might be felt. This reminds us that you and I really don't much understand about what was going on on the cross. We do maybe a little bit just a little bit. Actually, we don't understand it all. To know that he was made sin, that God turned the lights out at that time. And I think of the darkness of the tomb that he laid in. All of a sudden, 
his heart began to beat. His lungs began to heave and his eyes opened in the darkness of that tomb. He dwells in the thick darkness. And I know why Paul said we see through a glass darkly. We see through a glass darkly. Psalm 22 verse 3 says, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praise of Israel. Where is he? He inhabits the praise of Israel. Now who is Israel? Israel's every believer. That's just not talking about uh, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament or the nation of Israel right now uh, where all the conflict is going on. Israel is every believer. It's everybody with a circumcised heart. It's the true Jew. He is a Jew which is not one outwardly, but one inwardly. Whose circumcision is that of the heart, not of the letter, of the spirit. Whose praise is not of men, but of God. This is the true Jew. Every believer is a true Jew. And every believer praises God for who he is. We love who he is. And he inhabits the praises of Israel. The Israel of God. The Israel of God love God as he is. They love all of his attributes. They love all of his characteristics. They love all his ways of saving sinners by his grace. And whenever there is true from the heart praise to God for who he is, he's there. He's there. Where is he? He's in the preaching of the gospel. Matthew 28, I'd like you to turn there. Now, whenever I say something about the preaching of the gospel, I don't want to say this in a way that would put some kind of... uh, importance on the preacher I don't want to say it that way I hate the thought of clergy laity there's the preacher and there's the people that I, I, no 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 Paul when he talked about himself he said I magnify my office as a preacher he said I'm nothing I'm nothing and every true preacher knows that about themselves they're nothing um That doesn't take away from the importance of preaching. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. God has manifested his word through preaching. Now look at this passage in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came and spake unto them saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Next time you... Hear somebody talk about a powerful man or a powerful woman, laugh underneath. (laughs) They're not powerful. He's a powerful man. No, he's not. He's got no power. All power belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. I've heard people say you can't really say that the Scripture teaches three gods in one person. You can't really say the Scripture teaches the Trinity. Oh, <laughs> what's that say? Baptizing them in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. I've heard people say, well, that's a, not a doctrine of secondary importance. Says who? You can say anything that he says is of secondary importance and something's more important. Teaching them to observe all things. If he said it, it's of absolute importance. Amen? Teaching them to observe all things. Whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you. Always. That's where he's at. I am with you always. He's speaking particularly of the preaching of the gospel. But he says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Now, here's what I want to close with. Where is he? Where is he? He is where there is a cry for mercy. That's where he is. He is where there is a cry for mercy. Now, we read... When he was going through Jericho and coming out of Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, Luke tells us he set his face like a flint. That said in Isaiah, Luke quotes it, he is going to the cross. And there are crowds following him. They don't know he's going to the cross and everybody's calling his name. A lot of people using his name. A lot of people crying. A lot of people saying any, many things. There he goes. He's not going to be stopped. And then all of a sudden the scripture says, Jesus stood still. On his way to the cross, nothing's going to stop him. Jesus stood still. What stopped him? This cry. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. And Jesus stood still. Do you know that's a cry that he always hears? Jesus Stood still. And the scripture says he commanded him to be called. I love that scripture um, where uh, they said, Bartimaeus, hold your peace. Shut up. You're not supposed to tell people to shut up. Well, he, they told Bartimaeus to shut up. Shut up. You know what the scripture says? He cried the more a great deal. You know, if somebody wants mercy, you're not going to shut them up. If that ever 
comes into my heart, it can't be shut up. I need mercy. I need God to give me what I do not deserve. I need him to not give me what I do deserve. I need mercy for Christ's sake. I need mercy. And Jesus stood still, commanded him to be called. And he got up, threw away his garment, representing his own covering, his own righteousness. He threw away that garment and rose and came to Jesus. And the Lord said, what wilt thou that I do unto thee? What if the Lord said that to you? What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? Bartimaeus in his blindness said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And the Lord said, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And you know what he did when he went his way? He followed Jesus in the way. Where is he? He is wherever there is a cry for mercy. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for who you are and where you are. Lord, in Christ's name, we ask that you would unite our hearts together to pray and to make this request. Give every one of us the grace to be just like blind Bartimaeus, crying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Lord, let us hear the same answer. Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And Lord, teach us to follow thy son in the way. Bless this message for Christ's sake. In his name we pray. Let's close with hymn number 480, In Tenderness He Sought Me. Number 480. In tenderness he sought me, weary and sick with sin, and on his shoulders brought me back to the fold again while angels in his presence sang until the courts of heaven rang oh the love that sought me oh the blood that bought me oh the grace that brought me to the fold wondrous grace that brought me to the fold washed the bleeding sin wounds and poured in oil and wine he whispered to assure me i found thee thou art mine i never heard a sweeter voice it made my aching heart rejoice oh the love that sought me oh the blood that bought me 
that brought me to the fold. Wondrous grace that brought me to the fold. He pointed to the nail prints, for me his blood was shed. A mocking crown so thorny was placed upon his head. I wondered what he saw in me to suffer such deep agony. Oh, the love that sought me, oh, the blood that bought me, oh, the grace that brought me to the fold, wondrous grace that brought me to the fold. I'm sitting in his presence, the sunshine of his face, while with adoring wonder his blessings I retrace. It seems as if eternal days are far too short to sound his praise. Oh, the love that sought me, oh, the blood that bought me, oh, the grace that brought me to grace that brought me to the fold. So while the hours are passing, all now is perfect rest. I'm waiting for the morning, the brightest and the best. When he will call us to his side, to be with him his spotless that sought me, oh, the blood that bought me, oh, the grace that brought me to the fold, wondrous grace that brought me